Hey everybody, Dan here, welcoming you into another episode of Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney Plus movie podcast. Um, tonight's episode, or today's episode, whenever you're actually listening to this, is going to be a little bit different. It is only one movie, but it was recorded over three nights. Because the initial night, Dan was actually suffering from a sore throat. And then some issues came up midway through the episode. And so we had to stop recording then. And then the second part was actually recorded on a different night, which was the synopsis. Which is being recorded at the same night as the intro that you're listening to right now. And then we are recording the third portion on another night to be decided. So it's going to be a little jarring, I know, to hear three different versions of Dan's voice. But I'm sorry. I'm trying to do the best that I can. It is the holiday season. So bear with us and hope you enjoy Babes in Twilling. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, Green estate in the land of the free. Raised in the woods so he knew every tree. Killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett. Backstage party, Walt Disney shared with you a few selected scenes from his first big musical motion picture, Babes in Toyland. Every sparkling moment, an exciting new entertainment treat. Starring Ray Bolger, Tommy Sands, and Annette, and Ed Wynn. Don't miss Babes in Toyland, coming at Christmas time to a theater near you. Welcome, everyone, to an early Christmas present on Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney Plus movie podcast. I am the deep-voiced Dan Teets tonight. And joining us... I am the normal-voiced Ira Hawkins. So I'm going to go ahead and peel the curtain back. It has been a week at my job that I don't think I have ever been prepared for and I am recording this the night before we go on our Thanksgiving break so we're we're getting it recorded about a month early just so there will be time for editing and everything like that so when you actually hear the synopsis it will probably be a much better voiced Dan so having said that we are officially into the Christmas season when this airs and we are going back in time to a much shall we say simpler time with Walt Disney movies would that be a good way to say it Kara? yeah I think maybe uh it's I don't know I wasn't around for this um this year I guess in the podcast, so I don't know what you were watching, but um, 
Yeah, it, I guess it's simpler than what we've been talking about. Well, the movies that were released around this time were 101 Dalmatians, the animated, the original Absent-Minded Professor, the original Incredible Journey, and The Sword in the Stone were the movies that were around this time. All pretty good. Yeah, all pretty good. And we'll just leave it at that. And then we have Babes in Toyland, which was actually released on December the 14th, 1961. It did $4.6 million at the box office, which is about $46 million in today's revenue. Nothing to sneeze at. It's nothing to sneeze at, but it definitely would not get a Disney sequel. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, I thought that this was like, it probably would have made a better TV special. It seems like a made-for-TV type thing. Yeah, and we'll get into that when we actually start breaking down the movie proper. Um, This is actually the second feature film release of Babes in Toyland. Because Laurel and Hardy actually did this in 1934. So I actually thought that was what I was sitting down to watch. Because I didn't look at the um, promotional poster or anything like that. To find out that there was no Laurel and Hardy. And it might have made a better movie for us to watch. So I had never seen this movie before. This is before my time, obviously. Before... I started getting into Disney films, and it never even crossed my mind that it was a Disney movie. And I want to say that I think there was another Babes in Toyland that was actually made with Drew Barrymore in the 80s, maybe? Huh, I've never heard of that. Oh, give me a sec. I am looking. So, was this... Obviously, this was your first release, or your first um, exposure to it as well, correct? Yeah, I think I kind of have been aware of it, just hearing the name thrown around here and there, but um, I had never seen it. Okay. Like, I was aware of it, it wasn't really on my radar, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Alright, give me a sec. I'm pulling up Drew Barrymore, because that's probably the easiest way to do it than to... Start looking for all the actual Babes in Toyland. And it doesn't give me a filmography for her. Wow. Way to bury the lead there. Um, Wikipedia. You would think that like when you type it in, it would just kind of pull it up yeah. in the yep. search. Yeah. Well, like I said, I looked I looked for it on um, with Drew Barrymore. So, Babes in Toyland. No, it was not. Huh. Okay. That must be another fever dream that I've been having lately. (laughs) So. All right. So the synopsis, which comes to us once again, care of Wikipedia, goes a little something like this. A stage play begins, presented by Mother Goose and her talking goose named Sylvester, about Mary Contrary and Tom Piper, who are about to be married. The miserly and villainous Barnaby hires two crooks, dim-witted... Gonzorgo and Silent Rodrigo. They are to throw Tom into the sea and steal Mary's sheep, depriving her of her means of support to force her to marry Barnaby. Mary is unaware that she is the heir to a fortune, but Barnaby is is aware and wants it all for himself. 
Gonzorgo and Rodrigo decided to sell Tom to the Gypsies instead of drowning him in order to collect a double payment. Gonzorgo and Rodrigo return and tell Mary, Barnaby, and the, cities of, and the citizens of Mother Gooseland that Tom has accidentally drowned. They show Mary a forged letter in which Tom tells Mary he is abandoning, abandoning her and she will be very, better off marrying Barnaby. Mary, believing she is destitute, reluctantly accepts the proposal of Barnaby. Barnaby un unknowingly arranges for the same performers who have Tom to, to provide entertainment for the evening. Tom, disguised as Floretta, reveals himself, and Barnaby pursues the frightened Gonzorgo and Roderigo, furious at their deception. One of the children who lives with Mary informs her of some sheep tracks leading into the forest of no return. The children sneak away into the forest to search for the missing sheep. The trees of the forest awaken and capture them. Tom and Mary follow and find the children in the forest where they tell stories about the live trees. The trees seem just like ordinary trees to Tom and Mary. Tom, Mary, and the children camp for the night. In the morning, the trees once again come to life and explain that they are now in custody of the toy maker in Toyland, who is also the mayor and chief of police. Tom, Mary, and the children happily continue on, escorted part of the way by the trees. Through the windows of the Toymaker's house, they watch the Toymaker's brilliant apprentice, Grumio, present a new machine that makes toys without any manual labor. Overjoyed, the Toymaker speeds up the machine to such a high rate that it explodes, destroying every toy in the factory. Tom, Mary, and the children offer to help make toys in time for Christmas. Grumio presents another invention, a shrinking gun that reduces everyday objects to a toy size. He warns that if it is used on anything more than once, the shrunken object disappears completely. The toy maker is at first delighted at the idea of producing toys by shrinking life-size objects, but then Tom points out the impossibility of finding enough everyday objects to shrink down into the large quantity of toys needed for Christmas. The toy maker berates Grumio for his stupidity and throws the shrinking gun out of the window in disgust. Barnaby, who has been spying on them, takes the discarded shrinking gun and uses it to shrink the Toymaker and Tom. When Barnaby's henchmen see him threatening to shoot Tom a second time, they abandon Barnaby. They try to flee, but Barnaby shoots them and locks them up with Tom in the birdcage. Barnaby forces Mary to marry him by threatening to destroy Tom, and he threatens to destroy the Toymaker if he refuses to preside over the wedding ceremony. While the Toymaker draws out the ceremony, Gonzorgo and Rodrigo rescue Tom, and the three of them sneak away and return with an army of toy so soldiers to fight Barnaby. Barnaby easily destroys the, demolishes the toy soldiers. He is about to obliterate Tom with another dose from the shrinking gun, but Mary destroys it with a toy cannon. The liquid splatters all over to Barnaby and shrinks him down to toy size. Tom, after challenging Barnaby to a duel with swords, stabs Barnaby, who falls from a great height into an empty toy box. During the battle with Barnaby, Grumio creates and presents another invention, one that returns miniaturized people and items to their original size. He immediately uses it on the toy maker, Gonzorgo, and Roderigo, but not on Barnaby. Grumio is about to use it on Tom, but after reminding Grumio that he is a head toy maker and that Grumio is just his assistant, the toy maker uses the invention himself to return Tom to his normal size.
A few days later, Tom and Mary are married, attended by all the Mother Groups village, including Gonzorgo and Rodrigo, as well as the trees from the tourist to no return, and everyone lives happily ever after as the stage curtains close, ending the film. The end. Alright, so my first thoughts on this movie was I really didn't know what I was really watching. I mean, was it a play that they filmed? Was it a movie set inside of a play, set inside of a a hallucinogenic fever dream of the 60s? You know, maybe both. I don't know. So I felt the same way. Um, like, it opens, like, with a curtain opening. Mm-hmm. I mean, after the opening credits, of course, there's a curtain. There, it pulls back a curtain so that you see people on a large stage. And I thought, is this whole thing, like, is it, like, we've seen them do movies that are the stage play. So I was like, oh, okay, that's that. I guess that's what we're watching. I wasn't expecting that. But then in some scenes, it seemed like they were on a different set and not on the stage. I don't know. It was all very strange. Yeah. So the movie itself, actually, before they even pull the curtain, starts with a ventriloquist goose, which is Mother Goose's goose, talking to the audience, breaking the fourth wall. And then she announces or he announces Mother Goose's weight. Yeah, that was pointless. Yeah, and I guess Mother Goose was supposed to be like a famous ventriloquist at the time. I had no clue who she was. Didn't really care to look her up because it was set in her nursery rhyme world, I guess, because it had like Jack jumping over the candlestick, Jack and Jill coming down the hill. Mm-hmm. It had, it had all these different kitty nursery rhymes that were set. And then you had Mary Mary Quite Concherry, who was marrying Tom Piper? Yeah, I didn't recognize him. Was he like the Pied Piper? Uh, you, you got me. So. Yeah, I have no idea. I guess I'm too old to know. No. Or maybe too young. I don't know. But yeah, so then we get a 15-minute dance sequence that went way too long and it was in the vein of yours and my least favorite movie of all time mm-hmm. um so i thought that like beyond being confused about whether i was watching like a <laughs> film or like a movie musical on stage um like a stage production i guess mm-hmm. is what i'm trying to say i thought the set was pretty cool like, it was colorful and bright, and, and, like, it had the working windmill, and it kind of was giving, um, um, like, the like Munchkinland from mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz. It made me think of that very similar kind of setup. The buildings were cute. Like, it just was, like, cute. And um, the dance didn't even really bother me. It did go on too long, though. <laughs> I, I've kind of wondered if my daughter would like this and I feel like she might pay attention to a few minutes of it but then get bored pretty fast and thank you Kyra for indulging my fever dream I knew that I had this feeling that a very young Drew Barrymore was in a Babes in Toyland but it was a made for TV movie which may be why it didn't pop up on the the non-existent filmography for Drew Barrymore 
Yeah, I found it. And I was like, oh, there it is. Like, you weren't you weren't imagining it. But it looks like it has a slightly different story. Yeah. So, maybe, is it Disney? I don't think it's Disney. No. Maybe we could do it someday. Maybe. Since Disney is basically putting every movie ever known to man on their Disney+. Plus. As we have found out in the last couple weeks, because they're dropping movies that I had no clue were Disney movies in their um, filmography. Yeah, Ernest Saves Christmas. <laughs> hey, don't downplay Ernest Saves no, Christmas. I'm not. That might be next year's Christmas movie. <laughs> I just didn't know that it was like in the Disney universe. Yeah. So, um, well. Yeah, a super long song and dance. Um, strange. The guy's pants catch on fire. Yeah, because that was Little Jack. No, that wasn't Little Jack Horner. That was Jack Be Nimble, Jack Be Quick. And he jumps over the candlestick three times before he burns himself. And it didn't make any sense because the candle never got any higher. Yeah, then there's like the guy with pies, like just a lot of nursery rhyme characters that mm-hmm. we're supposed to recognize. Um, they're having like a huge party, I guess, like because Tom and Mary are getting married. But then, mm-hmm. like, we meet the villain, Barnaby, who was kind of weird. I mean, what about this movie wasn't weird? <laughs> um, but. He starts weird, and then it seems like he got weirder. Oh, yeah. You, you, we're just getting to the very tip of the weirdness with this guy. And the fact that he was the scarecrow out of the original Wizard of Oz. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was Ray Bolger, and I was like, I recognize that name, so I immediately went and looked it up. Because that's what good cinephiles do. They're like, well, if you know a name, you got to figure out where you know him from. So then... You're trying to figure out how he got this role. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I should have done better research, but like, well, all I know is he's, this guy is weird. Yeah. So we've got the scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz playing the bad guy. Then his two goons are from Zorro, the TV show, which is now also on Disney Plus. And he basically comes up with this totally crazy plan to kidnap Tom so he can marry Mary. Yeah, like he's going to have him, they kidnap him, he's like going to have him killed. Because he wants, like somehow Mary gets like a huge inheritance when she gets married. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't know this, but he does somehow. And like who is she getting the money from? I don't think it ever says. It's all, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so there's also the deal about the two goons having to kidnap the sheep and run them off for some unknown reason so that way Mary doesn't have an income source. Maybe. Here's the deal. I think I was distracted. And so the sheep were totally an afterthought. Also, they were rainbow sheep. Um, They might have been a bunch of blue sheep. And they were, I was like, okay, do we have Bo Peep here? Is that like one of the little girls? I don't know. It was just. Bo Peep was there because she had lost her sheep because they had been kidnapped by Barnaby's goon. Okay. But that was after they kidnapped Tom, after they hit him over the head 
a la Wally Coyote with a mallet. Yes, like, okay, as stupid as these villains were, the the mallet thing was funny because he they're supposed to be really heavy and he's just carrying them around like when he opens up his jacket like mm-hmm. bad guys do and they're just hanging inside of his jacket. They were so obviously fake. Um, but yeah, the smacking him was funny. His falling down was funny. Like, I think some of the things that I found funny in this movie weren't supposed to be funny. Or maybe they were put in there because they needed the funny because that's how it was written in the original play and God only knows what's happening with people to figure that out. But So, Tom gets kidnapped. He's supposed to go and get thrown in the ocean. But instead, the goons happen upon a gypsy camp. Yes. Yes, you heard right, folks. A gypsy camp. <laughs> and I'm going to let content warning Kyra take it away from here. <laughs> okay, so I think this is one that um, still kind of gets overlooked or swept under the rug, which is why there wasn't a content warning on this movie. And um, you still hear the word gypsy thrown around by white people um, when, you know, as as we learn, we do better, hopefully. Um, so if you don't know why gypsy is problematic, um, I encourage you to look it up. There's, there's quite a bit there, mm-hmm. um, but it is seen as a um, derogatory term for a group of people called the Roma or... Um, Ro- I think Romani or Romani. I'm not mm-hmm. sure about the pronouncement, pronouncement, pronunciation. Wow. The pronouncement. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's it's seen as a derogatory term. Um, you can look it up if you're not sure why. Um, so going forward, in this episode, there we're going to refer to them as performers because that's essentially the mm-hmm. role that they play in the few minutes that they're in the movie. Yes. Um, they're traveling performers or nomadic people who do performances. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, they sell Tom to this group of performers and he acclimates real fast. Yes. Cause um, oh man, there's so much here. Like I know we're skipping over a lot and it's because none of it is good. Um, <laughs> and that's your movie. Good night. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of nonsense. There's, I don't know. Anyways, I'm getting off track. They sell Tom to this group of performers, and I think I there's not a clear timeline, but it seems like it's maybe been a day. Or two since they've sold him and he rolls into town with these performers and he's like the star of their show. It's like he acclimated to that group and and was accepted real fast. Yeah. But we yeah, we have actually skipped over like the main reason why the performers rolled into town because after Tom was kidnapped slash killed uh, allegedly barnaby comes and says well he's gone well no actually one other really funny point before we get to the 
weirdness and the creepiness and everything that is not correct in this film. So after Barnaby's goons have kidnapped Tom, they go back, report that they're that they've done it. And so he sends them to go break the news to Mary that Tom's dead, basically. And so they dress up like sailors and start saying that Tom had been washed overboard, but he had left a note, which that is... That he should marry Barnaby. Yeah. And this is a direct quote from one of the goons. The salt water washed the words away. But I'll try to decipher it for you. <laughs> and they actually show the paper that he is reading from. And it is nothing but a blank sheet of paper. <sighs> and so as they're singing this cockamamie song, the other goon keeps walking around in circles around the goon that's supposed to be reading the letter. And the water starts off non-existent. And then after the first verse, the water is like maybe an inch deep. And then after the second verse, is like three inches deep. And the goon that's walking in circles somehow disappears below the water. Yeah, there's like a trap door. I was like really in my head like, how did they do that? Yeah, and so the water keeps getting deeper and deeper. And the whole basis for this was so that way... Barnaby could sweep in and say, I'm here to marry you, forget about him, move on with me. Yeah, like the letter is something about, like, you should marry Barnaby, he'll be better for you or something. Yeah. Um, and, like, yeah. So Barnaby trying to convince Mary to marry him is um, yet another very long, drawn-out scene. Like, we get five minutes of him dancing. Like, mm -hmm. just dancing and acting out little scenarios by himself. Um, trying, yeah. And I, is this romantic? Like, is this... It, at one point, she makes a face that I was like, this is... That's like my face during this scene, like, watching this happen. Yeah, and I looked up the ages of these two at the time of this movie. Oh, it's crazy. Mary is being played by Annette Funicello. She is 19 years old at the time of this movie. Ray Bolger is 57. Oh, there's, yeah, problem, problem. I mean, I guess he, he, for as weird as all of it is, and as weird as the character is, like, he's a great villain for yeah. what it's supposed to be. Like, it's not his fault. It's a bad movie. <laughs> Good job, Ray Bolger. You, you did your best. But, yeah, so he keeps talking about this castle in Spain. And treats us to a 10-minute tap dance where he plays with a water fountain, I think is the proper term. And it was way too weird, way too long. But if they would have cut that and the, the dance at the very beginning, it would have been an hour-long movie. Yeah. I was like, what is all this for? Like, oh, Ray Bolger, what a great performer, but... Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, like, so like somewhere between six and ten minutes of just him doing like weird dances and then her making faces in reaction to it. And we are a month later, and welcome back. And we are still discussing 
the longest movie of all times. This is Babes in Toyland, continued. Yeah. When last we left our heroes, Mary Mary, quite contrary, was just saying no to the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz. And so she goes in and starts trying to figure out how math is not hard for women. Is that where you're at? I think so. Like, she's paying bills. Yeah. But I'm kind of thinking, um, did we get to the part where the, like, performers come into town? Yes. Yes. Okay. We, we, we discussed the performers. And... Tom, like, integrated himself really fast. Well, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. No, we haven't gotten to that. Oh, okay. We're, we're about there. Yeah, we're, we're about there because I'm, I'm looking back at my notes. So, so yeah, she's got... So she's trying to figure out how to make ends meet, and she just can't figure it out because math is hard for women. Hey. Hey, I, hey I'm just <laughs> I'm just telling you what the movie told me. I'm not saying that. Okay, that's Disney says that, not Dan. Yes, yes. Okay. This, this is the Disney movie. Dan definitely does not say that. <laughs> and not so me, but I know a lot of really smart women. I do too. <laughs> In fact, I married one, so. Um, but yeah, there was like three different things during this song, one of which was the price of milk and eggs and bread rises every day. Still true. And then she also says numbers always stick our brain, which, once again, this is Disney saying math is hard for women, not me. So she pretty much figures out that there is... No way for her to make ends meet short of marrying Ray Bolger, um, which was, I can't... Barnaby. Barnaby, thank you. That shows you how long it's been since we've, since we started this podcast. <laughs> and so she, she goes out to accept his wedding proposal and she leaves the sleeping children to themselves, which is, this is the second movie that we have seen this been done in the last what three or four weeks that we've actually recorded because bill bixby did it in apple dumpling gang yeah very irresponsible parenting yes even though they're not like biological parents they're making poor decisions and so she leaves the sleeping children to walk up the creepy walk up to the creepy mansion on the mountain and the next thing that we see, we see the performers roll into town because <laughs> Barnaby decides, well, since all of y'all are depressed, let's go ahead and have a little fair, make everybody happy again, and who should pop out but Tom dressed in drag yeah. as a creepy fortune teller lady. It's not like immediately clear... Or at least it wasn't to me. Well, wait, hang on. I think we see him getting dressed, but like this shows you how much attention I was paying. That it was I didn't know that it was Tom until um the end of the production. Yes. When he like reveals himself. So that tells you how much attention I was paying. Um I just made like a note that it's kind of incredible. Like he's been with them for like maybe two days yeah he's learned their entire performance and integrated so well into this uh group that they've given him the lead role 
Yeah. Um, so, okay, sure. And so he, he comes in, he quote-unquote reads a few people's fortunes because he knows everybody in town. And then he reveals, ha-ha, it is I, Tom, returned from, well, wherever you wanted to take me. Yeah. And this makes Barnaby mad, and he huffs off and tries to find um, Rubio, Grumio, Rodrigo, Gorgonzola, <laughs> and, and all of his henchmen to try to figure out why they did what they did and collect the money from him and from the performers. And so, meanwhile, the children wake up and they decide that they're going to go to the Forest of No Return to Is... find Mary, Mary, or to find Little Bo Peep's lost sheep. Okay. I think I remember this. Like, <laughs> like I think we talked about this, but, um, yeah, like, I think I forgot that there were sheep and I don't know that they were, I didn't know they were lost. Um, like, and I remember... I... First and I don't think they movie. actually ever find the sheep in the in the entirety of the movie. No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, Mary and Tom like discover the missing children, and then they're like going after them. The whole like forest of no return business kind of made me think of um, the creepy forest in um, Wizard of Oz. I actually literally had that written down. This is this is very reminiscent of where the Tin Man was. Yeah, it's um, just somehow less charming and more creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I didn't think that any of this was remarkable. Just they're lost in the forest. The trees are weird as heck. Like, what were they on when they when they made this? Um. Well, this was the very early 60s, so there's no telling what hallucinogenics were being used, especially when you have six Marys talking to each other. Yeah, and, like, I don't really even remember how it happens, but, like, their mission shifts from we got to find these sheep to we need to see the toy maker. Well, okay, the the whole premise of the toy maker is that he was the mayor, ruler, lord and master of the Forest of No Return, and the only way that they could get out was to appeal to him. Ah, uh, okay. Well. And so the kids, Tom, Mary, they get rustled off by the weird trees with Barnaby, um, Gorgonzola, and Roderigo in hot pursuit. <laughs> And, I mean, we're probably halfway through the movie. Yeah. And finally, there are babes in Toyland. And they're not even babes, they're just kids. Yeah. And uh, I, I, as y'all have heard, because cause we recorded this in three parts now, this movie, I don't even know how to, how to describe it, but it is, so weird because you would expect a movie entitled Babes in Toyland to actually be about Babes in Toyland and not, oh, well, we're just going to throw all these nursery rhyme kids at you halfway through. Oh, by the way, yeah, we got to go go to Toyland so that way we can get out of it. It, yeah. it, it, I, it makes no sense. To yeah, this feel, like it feels like um, at this point when they get to the toy maker... 
um, and whatever his home is called. It looks like a big like mansion or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it feels like we've started a completely different movie. And I'm like, I think it was at this point that I started to like think, does this movie even know what it wants to be? <laughs> Because yeah. um, I'm not really sure. It. I mean, at least like we were back in like a colorful land because the forest was kind of mm-hmm. drab. Um, I guess I also just found the um, like. I'm sorry to Edwin. Like I know we've enjoyed him and other things, but I found the toy maker character to be um, overbearing. Yes. And um kind of a pain well that kind of is being perhaps a little too nice i just didn't i didn't like him i honestly i didn't care for any single character in this movie so yeah so they go they go and they're introduced to the toy maker and we have back up to my note his apprentice who is the older brother in the Shaggy Dog. He's the older brother in Old Yeller. Mm-hmm. His name is Grumio. Grumio. He was, he was the apprentice, and he was always coming up with all these ideas for things to make things easier and not have to work quite so much. Yeah, his inventions made me think of um, Maurice in Beauty and the Beast. But for toys instead of like practical living Mm -hmm. type things. We get like 10 minutes almost of toy maker and Grimio like arguing or like blowing stuff up before they even meet um, Tom, Mary and the kids. And at this point there's only half an hour left in the movie. So it's like, I I think this was where I was like, how are they going to wrap this up? Because they just now got there (laughs) and met this guy. Yeah, and so my next note was there are way too many buttons for something that is automated. (laughs) On Grumio's first invention, which was supposed to make things easier because you can make things by pushing like 15 buttons to get a doll, Mm -hmm. like 20 buttons to get a ship. And so the toy man, toy maker, whatever his name is, he starts taking over and he starts pushing all the buttons. And of course it explodes the machine. And there was a huge bingo ball roller in the background that was running part of the machine. And somehow the machine becomes self-aware because it starts to figure out that you're making things that should not be. And I was kind of waiting for the T-1000s to start being spit out and... Starting to attack the the whole robot factory. Yeah. And like speaking to the toy maker being overbearing and a huge pain. Um, he just like goes crazy pushing the buttons and like Grumio is like, Hey, stop, you're gonna mess it up, please don't touch anything. Like he's really trying to keep things under control. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the toy maker who does not make a single toy in this stinking movie um messes it all up and then like yells at Grumio like they have kind of an abusive relationship mm-hmm. happening here because he's caused all the problems but then is like really mean to Grumio mm. and blames him for everything it's just gross i did like that the toy like the machine starts asking for help 
like mm-hmm. by literally spewing the word help onto the screen. Yeah, and that and that's where the machine actually becomes self-aware, and this is the very early version of Skynet. <laughs> so the whole reason why the toy maker and Grumio were trying to come up with these ideas was because they had a deadline to have toys ready for Christmas. And, of course, if with it being a Disney movie, what better way to make things work than to have free child labor starting to make the toys? Yes, I wrote child labor. I mean, they kind of volunteered for it, but mm-hmm. he really puts them to work without a second thought. Yeah, and so they make maybe 10 or 11 toys and suddenly it's nighttime and everybody needs to go back to bed. And the kids sleep on a shelf. And then Grumio comes in with a second invention, which is labeled by him as a very dangerous invention. And it is a shrinking ray, a la Honey, I Shrunk the Kids fame, which Mm -hmm. may be where they came up with that idea for 40 years in the future. But, of course, the... Toy maker, since he is a toy maker and the apprentice is only apprentice, takes over and starts shooting things. And then Tom comes in and says, "Well, that isn't going to work. You're going to have, you're not going to have enough things to actually make all these toys." And of course, this sends a toy maker into another meltdown where he's yelling at Grumio for coming up with such a stupid invention. It, and they throw the gun out the window where Barnaby just happens to be waiting. Yeah. I, man, I just really hated the toy maker. Um, yeah, of course, like conveniently Barnaby is like catching it. And, um, I don't know. There's maybe like 20 minutes left at this point. (laughs) Like there's gonna, there's about to be a lot of action probably crammed into this. And of Mm -hmm. course there is like Barnaby, predictably uses the shrink ray gun or whatever it's called. Is that what we're calling it? The shrink ray gun? Shrink that gun. works. I, shrink. I, I, I have no problem. I have no problems with the shrink ray gun. Yeah. Patent pending trademarked. Yeah. He very predictably uses it on Tom and is going to, um, he, he's forcing Mary to marry him, which again, like I know we mentioned this, um, in the other part of the recording, but like it's, she's like 19 or 20 and he's like old. He's 57. Yeah. Gross. Um, not that there's anything wrong with 57 year olds, but like think about that age difference. It's weird. Yeah. Um, of course this was also back in the days where you didn't live past 30. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I will say that, um, while the, Somehow, it's a really long fight scene, even though there's only 15 minutes left in the movie. It's like super long. I I like the um, I like the fight that Tiny Tom and the toys put up. Although it's like, how did all these toys come to life? Well, not only that, but when did they have this army of toy soldiers actually get built? Because with all of the soldiers, the the ships, the dirigibles, everything that was actually taken out and then taken out by Barnaby, it pretty much, that would have 
taking care of easily a couple hundred kids that have but want Christmas toys. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I just like it's it's a struggle to know what to say here. Like <laughs> I, the kid in me, really enjoys like anytime there's like a shrink type narrative <laughs> where like you've got an like a human that's like made tiny and has to like adapt. Mm-hmm. I like the shots of um, the toy maker, like over the giant book and like that kind of stuff. I love seeing, seeing tiny people in the cage and then Tom leading the charge with all of the toy soldiers, even though like it makes no sense. Like that's appealing. I, if the whole movie would have been more of this, like less fight, but like more of them actually like interacting with the toys, mm-hmm. um, I probably would have enjoyed it more. Yeah. And maybe the Drew Barrymore version from 1984 has more of that. And it's a whole lot less of the first part, but we will never find out because I do not think that was a Disney. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I might seek it out eventually just to see, but um, I don't know. It's it's cute him leading the charge and there's like almost like a parade, but I don't know. It's just like this doesn't make sense. And still, <laughs> they haven't even started the fight yet. Like he's leading the charge. There's nine minutes left when they start firing. <laughs> <laughs> and so the army of toy soldiers come out and we just we just keep on plotting on. Mm-hmm. And somehow Barnaby ends up with a toy cannon that has an inexhaustible supply of bullets. Or, I guess, cannonballs, since it's a cannon. Yeah. And so he just keeps on firing, and we're just supposed to wave all disbelief that, oh, well, he isn't running around trying to find little tiny balls to load in to shoot all the things that he's destroying. Like, what are they reloading with? Um, yeah, supposed to think about that. Yeah, I I do. Um, I like when uh the two like goons because I think we left it out, but like Barnaby's own goons have become tiny also. Like he mm-hmm. he like shrank them um in a rage or something. I don't yeah remember, Be- but... because because they didn't want to go along with the wedding, so he's like, well, I'll just go ahead and shrink you, and then if you get yeah. in my way, I'll just shrink you again and we won't have to worry about you at all i do like to see them like joining in the attack like they're Mm -hmm. kind of funny um and of course as all disney movies go the since your hero is shrunk your villain must be shrunk as well and he ends up dropping no he doesn't end up dropping the gun the gun ends up exploding in his hand and he shrinks down to toy size and there actually was a pretty good little sword fight for it being a disney movie from the 1960s not starring robin hood and not that robin hood because that's 1973 robin hood but still yeah well and that that robin hood is a fox literally and figuratively (laughs) but yeah so like then barnaby's tiny um the sword fight is really fun actually like maybe the funnest part of the movie it's, I think 
if I remember correctly, because it's been a while since I actually watched it. <laughs> it's like this last couple minutes of them fighting was like the where I was engaged the most. Yeah. And so the fight ends. Tom wins. He knocks Groom or he knocks Barnaby into a toy box that gets closed. And Groomio comes in and he's got himself a blow up ray or gun or whatever. And of course, because the toy maker is the toy maker, and he reminds the toy and he reminds his assistant that he is nothing more than an assistant. He has to be able to start shooting people and making them back to normal size. And I actually put down, why keep reminding the assistant that he's the assistant and try instead of trying to redirect his intention? Yeah. And this is a new teacher in me because that's what we're taught, is that you, you, don't, you don't correct, you redirect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. The toy maker is just kind of a jerk. Yeah. And so we go to the wedding of Tom and Mary already in progress, already have happened. And it was conducted with the toy maker leading it. And we all live happily happily ever after. So I guess we're to assume that the toy maker makes his deadline. and Or is that just something else that we're not even supposed to worry about? Especially with all the toys that were destroyed in the making of the fight scene. Yeah, uh, we kn- we don't get that answered. We don't know if they ever found the sheep. Um, I have in my notes that we never saw Mother Goose again, but um, she's there. She's at the wedding. Yeah, it's just so tiny. Um, and then the most visually appealing part of the movie is um mary in her gown and like kind of a santa-esque red cape and the snow and like this is beautiful i love the shot but um that's it i thought the most visually appealing shot of the movie was where the curtains close. (laughs) (laughs) but Yeah, this movie leaves more questions as, because, I mean, they don't ever deal with what happened to Barnaby. Did he suffocate in the box? Did we just have him get shipped off to Timbuktu like the Aristocats butler did? Questions that are never answered with Dan and Kyra. (laughs) This movie was so weird and, like, I don't even know. I, I don't know. What to say? But, you know, we didn't mention um, one scene that I found um, very strange. I mean, the whole movie was strange. But, <laughs> like, w- there was a part where um, they're with the toy maker, like, in the workshop or whatever. I think the children have gone to bed. And Tom and Mary are just, like, hanging out, um, the two of them in the workshop. And she's admiring a doll. Um, they sing like a whole song about a little girl getting this doll for Christmas. And then I I didn't take extensive notes on this, but he's, (laughs) Tom is like talking about how Mary is like his doll. Um, a line from the song that they sing is, uh, he says, you'll live for the love and happiness of this lonely boy. You're just a toy. Blech. Gross, gross, gross. It's weird. 
He's like saying he wants to find her under the Christmas tree, which, okay, that's sweet. Like that's in a lot of contemporary Christmas music, but um, he's like, you're a special doll just for me. You'll need me to take care of you. These, um, I think that's like the main refrain of the song is you're just a toy. Mm-hmm. I know like kind of the message they were probably trying to portray, but like it did not age well. <coughs> yeah. That, well, this whole movie has not aged. No, I, I will never, like I know, well, you may ask this. I'll never watch this again. Ever. <gasps> How dare you, Kyra? No, I uh, might try the Drew Barrymore. I will never watch this one. Is there anything else that we want to add to this one before we chuck it down into the um, forest of no return? I don't think so, but I'm wondering, um, would you rather watch this or The Happiest Millionaire? (laughs) Oh, God. This, because it's only an hour and a half. (laughs) Okay, so time time aside like which one let me let me ask a different question then which one do you think is worse oh wow you're 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 already pulling the questions that that we were going to do at the year-end review episode but oh oh yeah sorry i forgot we talked about that that's fine um if i had to be tied to a chair and the only way that I could get up was to watch one of these movies. Mhm. I would probably choose I would probably choose those Callaways over both of these movies. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about those Callaways. This, um, this, this movie is a fever dream that Disney came up with in the 60s and now that we are almost in the 80 wonder how this movie actually may chart. How it actually made four point six million dollars in revenue back then. I mean, it's. I mean, I can understand why it would because it's a Christmas movie that actually comes out at Christmas, very loosely, very loosely based around a Christmas premise, with the toy maker being the Santa Claus, but not really. Not even close. Ugh. I want to know, like, man. I... This is kind of abstract, but, like, I wish I could go back in time and, like, be in a theater or near a theater and, like, know what the actual reaction was mm-hmm. of the audience. Like, I, I wish I could know how people felt about this movie beyond, like, reviews on the Internet. I want to talk to real people from the 60s, and I want to know what they thought about this. Like, if they paid to see this in the theater, was it worth their, like, $2 or whatever it was? Because I would not pay $2 in 2022 to watch this. <laughs> well, hold on. I am looking... I am looking at Wikipedia, and we know that Wikipedia does not lie. Variety described the film as an expensive gift, brightly wrapped and intrinsically packaged, and is certain to be a fast-selling item in the Yuletide marketplace. So they liked it? A choice attraction for the preteen set. It will be an especially big draw among those in the 5 to 10 age bracket. Mm, I don't know that. This was geared more towards kids than towards the people of our age. 
I, um, so Keaton is not age five to 10. She is almost 12. Um, she, she would hate this. Um, <laughs> I don't think she would have paid attention beyond like the first five minutes. She probably would have thought that the goose puppet was cute, but I don't, I, she would have lost interest really fast and probably not come back to it. Well, considering both of us pretty much lost track sometime during this movie, because I think both of us were catching up as we were getting into it, and I was taking screenshots of my issues with it <laughs> as we were, or as I was watching it, because I think I watched it before you did, just to give you another heads up, as has turned into my way of doing things on yeah. this show. No, I appreciate it, because like, there were so, like, there's just issues here, and man, well. Okay. It's like, there's so much to say, but also... No, I don't want to say anything about it. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and transition into the three all-important questions. First of all, what is today's impact on this? Firstly, we would not have the performers Mm -hmm. being called what they were called. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, they would have they I'm sure they could leave that in, but they'd be called something completely mm-hmm. different and they would not be like like the ethnic group would not have any um role in this. Yeah. Secondly, we wouldn't have Annette Funicello trying to pander that she is not good with numbers. Yeah. Obviously. We'd have yeah, we'd probably have some cool, like real smart, like steam lady who could be like out toy making the toy maker mm-hmm. probably could keep up with Grumio or yeah. outdo him. And of course we wouldn't have free child labor. No. Because that's what the elves are. Yeah. Free elf labor. At yeah, and like the uh the like age difference between Barnaby and Mary, like if they left that in, it would probably be called out in the script mm-hmm. one way or another. Um, instead of just like, oh, this is normal. Yeah. Okay. Is this movie mirrored in culture? We've already mentioned that there was another remake with Drew Barrymore, which may or may not be better than this one. Yeah, I had seen, um, I read, like, when I first watched this, that, like, they kept the toy soldiers um, involved in a Disney park for, mm-hmm. a few, like, many years, maybe a few years. I don't know. Yeah. For a while, but I don't think so much now. Yeah, and you know, this I don't think this is really related to the question, but um, <laughs> I think like a better movie to watch of this, and it's not so much the same premise, but um, like if you like toys coming to life and um, musical numbers and things like that, Jingle Jangle on Netflix. Um, is a much better movie. Okay. Um, we, we've made that part of our, like, we'll watch this every year. Um, like, no free ads for Netflix, but... But if Netflix would like to sponsor us, we will be happy to take on a Netflix movie... Yeah. ...podcast for the 63 million movies that are on Netflix. <laughs> well, just... Um, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not already watched Babes in Toyland, save your two hours and watch Jingle Jangle instead. Okay. 
And I, and I think we found part of the um, blurb for this episode. Why oh. Kyra likes Jingle Jangle a whole lot better than this movie. <laughs> All right. Well, I could do a Jingle Jangle episode, but this is a Disney Plus podcast. All right. Well, the third and final question is, how does this fit into today's society? Does it? Mm. We both knew about it, but that's about it. Nobody really gave this a second thought after the 90s was done until they remade it in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so, um, for those of you that have listened to my voice change three times during this episode, I thank you for putting up with all of the technical and physical difficulties that there were in the making of this episode. We are going to keep the Christmas spirit going for next week, which is Christmas Eve, when you're actually listening to this. And we are doing something that we've done a couple of times. We're actually reaching in and grabbing something brand new and reviewing it. We are jumping into the MCU midstream. For those of you who listen to the podcast, you know that is the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse. And we are going to be covering the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Spectacular, which is available. It is 45 minutes, well worth your time, so I may be giving a little bit of a spoiler for next week's episode. But that is your homework. If you've listened to this movie, in, or if, yeah, if you've listened to this movie, if you've listened to this podcast in Babes in Toyland that we just covered is your favorite all-time Disney movie, please write us at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. Tell us what we're missing. Because because I would definitely like to know what you saw that we and what it is that keeps you coming back. Or if you watch the movie for homework, because we tell you that every week there's homework, and you're right there with us, drop us a line, let us know that we're right on. We will read your email in a future episode. We're still waiting for our first, which is kind of depressing after three years of doing podcasts. But what can you do? People don't write emails anymore. They text or Skype or um, Snapchat or whatever they do. So it is that time for me to remind you to stay safe, stay hungry, and stay out of the woods of no return. Because it'll be better for you in the long run. Trust us. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback, and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Thundercats are go, huh? Yeah, I don't know where that came from.